0: You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology brought to you by LifeYield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Thank you for joining us on Wealth Tech on Deck. Glad to have you back to hear from the folks on the cutting edge of creating strategies and capabilities around the confluence of digital and human advice. Today, we'll talk with someone who has been changing the game for advisors, clients, and firms in a very good way for a very long time. Aaron Klein is the CEO of Rescalize, an innovator in helping advisors and clients understand and manage risk. Aaron, welcome. So glad you've made the time to join us on on deck. Absolutely. Great to be here, Jack. Let's dive right in. So Aaron, you've been a a pioneer on the topic of risk management and so much more, and your story is well known, especially in the RAA world, but we have some folks who may not Familiar with your origin story, so let's start with a little bit of background. How did you get started in this business, and how did you wind up doing what you're doing?
1: Well, gosh, I first started working at the age of 12 in the afternoons after school for my dad, and uh, he knew nothing about child labor laws nor minimum wage <laughs> laws. Um, you know, but but it, it seems to have worked out okay. I learned a lot from him. I learned about the grit that it takes to be an entrepreneur, you know, and start a business. I learned a lot from him about that business is really personal that like, if you take care of your clients, they'll take great care of you, you know, cause he was in a very commoditized business, wholesale distribution of like automatic gate security equipment. And so, mm-hmm. you know, 18% gross margins, like commoditized product, everybody had what you had. So, you know, relationships were everything. And he really taught me that. And that stuck with me. And so You know, I was doing a few interesting things around the internet. Some of them were working, some of them didn't work out. And then when one of them didn't work out, I took a job and I was running product for a division of an options brokerage firm. And, you know, it was during that period of time, I was talking to a buddy of mine who was a financial advisor. And I said, Mike, it is crazy how the average individual thinks about the concept of risk. And he mm-hmm. said, if you think that's crazy, you should see how many of us financial advisors think about it. <laughs> like we have not had the tools in our profession to really understand who our clients are as people and then figure out how to align that with the risk in their portfolios, mm-hmm. you know, and we we kind of double clicked on that idea and it became clear that the industry has just been so reliant on these qualitative terms like conservative and moderate and aggressive. And, you know, There's a reason why like the architects and the contractors building like our office building here don't say things like, don't forget, he wants a conservatively moderate hallway leading to his moderately aggressive conference room. Like they they (laughs) use feet and inches in the blueprint, right? And so we were like, we need to put the feet and inches into this process for financial advisors. And that's how the risk number was really born.
0: And so how long are you just to give a sense of timing? When did that occur?
1: That's about 10 years ago. And it was maybe a little bit longer that we were like thinking about the idea and realizing that that's what needed to happen. And so, you know, it was March of 2011 that we actually launched out and started the company. And it was just three of us at the beginning. So Mike was still an advisor, you know, kind of wasn't in a position to join the company and be a part of the company. He and I would talk all the time. He couldn't take an active role uh, outside business activity and everything else, you know. And so it was me and it was the guy who became our first CTO and the guy who became our first product engineer. And the three of us, you know, went to work on building the product. We worked for about two years, had lots of successes, lots of failures, had to really change our strategy along the way but ultimately ended up getting to build the financial advisor product that we really, really wanted to build that we thought wasn't coming until like 2015, but we ended up building it earlier because nothing else was really working in our strategy. And so the financial advisor product is what really took off in 2013.
0: And so I'm assuming, and talk a little bit about this if you would, you tested that on advisors. You said, what do you think of this? And does this work? Talk a little bit about that.
1: That's part of why we had to bob and weave with the strategy a little bit is in 2011, we were like, you know, great financial advisors are not going to road test brand new risk technology on their clients, right? their clients are the most precious thing that they have. And the second most precious thing that they have are the prospects that they work with. Right. So, so like, they're just not going to road test brand new risk technology on the most precious things that they have in their business. And so we said, okay, what we're going to do, here was the original strategy. We're like, we're going to release like a very basic version of this as a free website. And we're going to attract the $25,000 E-Trade guys. And We're going to validate the technology that way. And then we're going to license it to like E-Trade or one of the other big retail brokerage firms. Mm -hmm. We're going to take the money from that and we're going to build the financial advisor product that we really, really want to build. And so that was the strategy for how we were going to get the company off the ground. And, you know, 2012, I like to call it our year of successful failure because the successful part was we'd rolled out that website. We got a bunch of PR, New York Times, Barron's, NPR. We had users come in and build $2 billion worth of portfolios on that product. Wow. And you know, $27,000 average account size. They loved it. They're doing their risk number. They're like plugging in their portfolio and figuring out how to get it aligned. And so we could tell that they loved it and that it was working. But we, for the life of us, could not get that licensing deal with one of the retail brokers. Right? And so we had about three months of money left in the bank. And I said... Hey guys, if we're going to go down, let's go down swinging. Like, let's rebuild the product for financial advisors and see if we can't get the $2 billion of validation to be enough to bring great financial advisors aboard. And, you know, lo and behold, it took off like a rocket when it came out of beta in March of 2013. And here we are 10 years later, right? I guess that's eight years since then later, but 10 years into this company, and we get to serve tens of thousands of financial advisors across the country. And we've delivered over 5 million risk numbers to their clients. So it's really incredible.
0: Wow. So talk, if you would, a little bit about that three months of cash left. You roll the dice. You say, we're going to go for it. The numbers are enormous in terms of the advisors you, you've appealed to that use your capabilities. But talk about how you went for it and how that occurred. How did that take off in the way that it did? First, we had to
1: go build the product, right? And so we worked, we'd worked. we already spent like, you know, I don't know, a year and a half, on the underlying technology. So at least that was working really well. Yeah. But we had to like rebuild the product for advisors. And we had a pretty rough product ready in about three or four weeks. That was back in the day when we could do something like that in three or four weeks, right? Now you get customers, it gets a little bit more complicated, sure, but sure. but there you go. And there was a conference in October called Stocktoberfest. Howard Lindzen, okay, put on Stocktoberfest out on Coronado Island down near San Diego in Southern California. And Josh Brown, the reformed broker, right? Mm -hmm. He holds wealth management today, was on CNBC every other day, right? And he is going to be at Stocktoberfest. So I'm here to admit I stalked Josh Brown. Like I basically I have a cold email or two and I'm like – or seven – and I said, I said, Josh, no, I think it only took two. But Josh, you know, hey, you know, we, we've been building this thing and I think it's really cool. And I think maybe it'd be interesting to you. Like, could I get five minutes of your time to show it to you at Stocktoberfest? And he replies back and he's like, sure, sure. Definitely like find me at the conference and we'll talk about it. Then I fly down to this conference and I am here for one thing. I have to show Riskalized to Josh Brown, right? Yes. And so I'm semi like stalking him across the conference, like tournament. And finally he just is like, How am I going to get this guy to leave me alone? Like, I'll go look at his thing. We walked into like the next room, sat down and I opened it up and I like took him through it. It just kind of hit for him. He just looked at, he's like, oh my gosh, we can totally use this in our business as advisors. And I want to be your first customer and I want to help you in any way that I can. The conference was being held in like a movie theater that was closed And, and so like, he walks back out and he's like, he's like, this guy's product is amazing. And the guy, the other guy is like, sir, I just sell popcorn here. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? So anyway, Josh was a true believer. He joined our advisory board. That was really helpful at the beginning. And, you know, our investors stood behind us. And then we just started working at getting it out into the marketplace, you know? And I think about some of what we did in 2013 to help the company take flight. You know, I attended my first T3 conference in 2013, right? Got to be there, and we became a sponsor in 2014. So that was kind of cool. Joel Bruckenstein, very welcoming of somebody new into the industry, at least into the advisor space. I went to the Pershing Conference in 2013, met one of my really good friends, and now a guy on my board, Brian McLaughlin, who also is the CEO of Redtail, right? Right. We ended up getting together a couple weeks later after we got back from Florida and decided to build a great integration between Riskalyze and Redtail. And that really helped to put us on the map in a bunch of ways. So I love whenever I get the chance and I feel like I don't get enough of a chance. I just love like all the entrepreneurs and the new things that are happening in the fintech space and I love doing whatever I can with the limited time that I've got to like try to give back to some of those sure, entrepreneurs. Cause sure. I feel like so many people were generous to me yeah. when we were coming up and trying to figure this out in the early days.
0: I did not know a lot of that story. So I think I knew the Josh Brown part. That's obviously a, a signal event. But talk a little bit about where you are today. You recently did a recapitalization. Yeah. So you're heading in a new direction. Talk about that transition want to get into where you want to go, but let's just talk about how's the transition going? How's the business going? You're a leader, clearly, in the whole risk space. I've noticed you've got a few other folks that have joined you in that regard. Talk a little bit about where you are now and where you see going in the short term. We'll talk about long term in a moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that when you're doing a startup, you are just focused on staying alive, you know? (laughs) And then once you get past the startup stage and you start building a business, then you start thinking about the capital strategy for that business and how you're going to make sure that you can invest in its growth and think about delivering a really good return for the investors who entrusted you with their capital to help you build the thing in the first place. And so in 2016, we had a firm called FTV Capital invest in us and help us drive a lot of growth between 2016 and 2021. And they were super helpful in that regard. They were really happy as an investor. They were prepared to stay. You know, We were one of the last investments out of their fund four. So at some point, you know, all these different growth equity funds have to book a return for their fund. And so typically, they're going to want to figure out a way that they can exit and find a new investor to help you take you to the next level. FTV was super happy. They're like, hey, we'll happily, you know, stay seven years, eight years, whatever works. But at the same time, I had all these early angel investors who had invested in 2011. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of telling me they're like, Aaron. I was 75 years old when I invested. It kind of looks like we built a really <laughs> successful company here. I'm going to turn 85. When do I get to spend some of this money? You know, and I mean, I just love all those people that trusted us, yeah. entrusted us with their capital. You know, and I'm so grateful to them. And so we said in early 2021, April 2021 timeframe. Yeah, we're going to figure out a way to get some liquidity for you here in 2021. So we started thinking about that, you know, and looking at the fact that we were approaching year five with FTV and I'm like, I don't really want to do this two times. So I started thinking about, like, could we find one partner who would be a great long term partner who wanted to buy into our vision of like how we needed to change, you know, both the profession And how we needed to impact investors as a whole. Because that's the mission our company has been on, Jack, since day one. How do we empower the world to invest fearlessly? How do we suck fear out of decision-making and inject data into decision-making? That's what we've been about since day one. What we were really trying to find was a great partner who wanted to invest in that vision and push it forward to the future. Because I felt like we were in the third inning of a baseball game. Ultimately, after a lot of discussions... HG was, so HG is a software and services investor. They're one of the largest in the world. They are the largest in Europe Mm -hmm. and they manage like $37 billion of assets. So they're really kind of the largest investor that kind of invests in companies like ours. And I just love the culture of the firm. I love the alignment that they had with us on Vision. They didn't come into us with a direction that they wanted us to take. They came into us and said, we love the direction you're on and we want to invest in it. And we want to help push it forward. And we're prepared not just to partner with you, Aaron, to buy out all your early investors and like set up the company for the future. But we're prepared to be there with more capital as you need it, whether that's for organic growth and investing in R&D or whether that's for acquisitions you might want to do or whatever it is. We want to help be a part of building a big, scalable wealth tech business in the U.S., And we think Riskalyze is the way to do that. And so I just feel like it's a partnership made in heaven. And it's been a great relationship so far. What I also love about HG is they have a very unique ability to invest out of successive funds. So, you know, it's a possibility we could go public. HG has portfolio companies that they've partnered with for 15, 17 years. That's one of the big things we were looking for is we've got a long-term mindset and we wanted to partner with a long-term mindset and felt really excited about that. So we're off to the races with them. And if the next 58 months or anything like the first two months were, we'll probably, you know, go to a successive fund of theirs and just keep working with them for 10 years and then beyond from there.
0: That sort of brings us up to date. Let's talk about the future. Sure. You've probably heard this word every day for the past many but ecosystem, that there's lots of different elements. There's tech stacks, all well, the buzzwords. Risk is a component, cost, tax. There's all yep. sorts of elements that are all part of an ecosystem or tech stack. And where do you see Riskalyze going? Clearly, risk is fundamental to any kind of portfolio. And also, by the way, another term you're hearing more and more seems to be Table stakes at this point is household level management, not just sure. individual account management. How do you manage and coordinate sure. all the accounts in a household? So talk a little bit about where do you see the future going and yeah. how does Riskwise fit into that future?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting if you look at where we started, because we really started, if you think about it, a lot of people go, oh, you're a risk solution. And we are, like, that's true. Sure. But we started from the standpoint of like, how can we help advisors better engage with clients? at the front end of their process. And we just happened to believe that risk was the right way to engage with clients, that it was the right lens to use to help clients understand what they were doing and make better decisions that were fearless decisions instead of fearful decisions. And if you engage clients that way, it ultimately would set your advisory business up for success. That's really kind of where we started. So we started you know, one could argue in client engagement. And then we kind of built our way backwards towards portfolio analytics, deep portfolio statistical analysis, and a lot of the tools inherent in that. And, you know, with what we've just rolled out with discovery, you know, Discovery is that next generation Google-like experience for finding ETFs and mutual funds. You don't even know exactly what funds are out there, but you're trying to find a particular solution for a client's portfolio or for maybe your core portfolio allocation. And Discovery is just that amazing experience that transforms you know, kind of the hierarchical way that a lot of the old style screener tools work, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of Yahoo style, into the Google style natural language search, make it an incredibly powerful search engine for funds and investment solutions in your portfolio. So we've kind of built our way backwards into investment research as well. So now we're sitting there in a place with investment research, portfolio analytics, client engagement through risk, trading, compliance capabilities, today we see ourselves as you know the risk centric wealth management platform but specifically focused on the advisor desktop and that's one of the things that i really believe in is that we could go potentially and compete down in what i would call the platform space or kind of the os layer of an advisor's practice mm-hmm. okay but There's a lot of really good players there and suffice it to say, like a lot of advisors love their Orion or they love their Black Diamond or they love, you know, their Tamarack or whatever set of tools they use. Or they might be at a broker dealer and their platform is InvestNet or their platform that they use is AssetMark or, you know, I can think of others, right? Mm -hmm. Don't mean to leave anybody out, but like you get the message. And so we kind of look at what we are building as a bit of an advisor desktop platform that we want to make sure we really believe in a multi-platform vision. We want to make sure it's really easy for advisors to engage with clients and leverage those tools and then implement those solutions that they've selected for clients directly onto the different platforms that they might be on.
0: Do you see your future as being an element, a component, a capability that an Orion or a InvestNet or Black Diamond might use, or are you looking to compete with those folks or both?
1: Well, I'll just say that the way that I look at it is that it's going to be a multi-platform world. I absolutely believe that there are a multitude of advisors that we serve today that have built their business, their client engagement for their business around Riskalyze. Mm -hmm. And they've built how they deliver investment solutions to their clients on InvestNet or on Orion or on Black Diamond or any of these other platforms. Mm -hmm. And we are deeply committed to serving those customers in that way. And that's what I really believe the power of integration. One of the things that I see is I see some of these technology solutions and they decide they wanna be a platform themselves. And then they try to use the advisor desktop technology to basically try to leverage their way into success with the backend platform. And I, I don't have any plans in that regard. The press asks me like literally every month or so, when are we becoming a TAMP? And I I laugh and I say, I have no secret plan to become a TAMP at some date in the future, right? Right. But nonetheless, what is clear to me is that we're not going to try to leverage one part of our business to push another. Mm -hmm. We believe in a multi-platform world. And so it's incumbent upon us, I think, as fintech providers, and I know you believe much the same way, that we've got to use integration to create great user experiences for advisors. It is not up to the advisor to try to weave all this stuff together that they need to use. We've got to build the right integrations to allow them to have great user experiences and great workflow while still getting the benefit of best of breed tools.
0: You know, uh, my colleague, Steve Zushan, he and I have talked a good bit about this. Because integration is one thing, but coordination is another. (laughs) <laughs> and I know that's what our company, LifeField is about. We're about coordination. We are Intel inside. We're not, never going to be a platform, have no designs or interest. Yeah. And we do tax and we do it well. That's all we do. We coordinate with people like yourselves, Riskalyze. We coordinate with BlackRock's Aladdin. We're agnostic on the topic. We think risk is fundamental, but we don't do that and we want to coordinate right. that. So if you're going to make a risk move, you're going to have a tax consequence as yeah. an example. so. Our view is, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, our view is that the future multi-platform, multi-everything, it's going to be room for everybody in my view, not everybody, but, you know, those that are No, no,
1: rising tide, it lifts a lot of boats.
0: Yeah, Yeah, but the game at hand, the challenge at hand is coordination. So what say you about that?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think that's a great way of articulating it, Jack. And I guess I would say one of the challenges that our profession has is that we have kind of stuck the label integration on everything. Including things that are like, yeah, that's not really integration. That's single sign-on. Like that's interesting, but that's not integration. Right. And integration that reaches the level of coordination is integration that can actually weave together workflows in a common sense way. And, and that's part of what we see. We have delivered some technology that really helps advisors be elite at making great decisions for their clients right. in a particular context. I don't really think, you know, if two years from now, advisors are doing as much retyping of those decisions into their implementation platform, Mm -hmm. then, you know, we in that platform are not doing our job like I think we should. Right. And we've been investing in that. Orion is one of our stronger integration partners with that. For example, you can write a proposal and Riskalyze and basically it will implement that model across. You can sync the models in from Orion and it will implement that model across into Orion. It's a great integration and we need to do more of that style of coordinated integration that can drive seamless workflows for advisors and really allow them to use best of breed solutions that actually deliver a superior overall experience. You know, I've always said, if we tried to do everything, I don't know about anybody else, but if we tried to do everything, we'd be mediocre at everything. We wouldn't be particularly good at any one thing. So we really believe in focus and not trying to boil the ocean.
0: When I'm asked, what, where do I see the world going? I do talk a good bit about coordination and that the, the levers of improved outcome, because that's ultimately what investors are looking from us as fintech providers, as well yeah. as from advisors in terms of the advice they offer, is the levers for improved outcome are cost, risk, and tax. So if you can improve outcome by managing the risk as you all do so well, and really have helped advisors and clients do the right thing more often because of, sure. of what you're doing, And of course, tax is the single biggest cost. So it seems to me as we go forward, coordination effort, whether it's called financial planning or debt aggregation, or it's called risk management, or it's called tax management, as an industry, we're going to need to figure out how to get along. What say you about that? Do you agree? No, I
1: think that's exactly right. And I think that, look, it's a big industry and there's room. I love how you articulated that before, because there is room. One of the things that I love about this profession is that, you know, for one company to win, that does not mean others need to lose. Yes. It's a big space and there's a lot of room for different solutions. And I firmly believe that. And that's why we've been pretty aggressive about investing in integrations and hopefully coordinated integrations because I, <laughs> I agree with your point of view on that. And so – we're going to continue to do that. And that's a big theme. You know, That's one of the things we'll be talking about at our board meeting in a month. Our first board meeting with HG aboard is how much we want to accelerate our investment integrations. Because again, in that multi-platform world, it's incumbent upon us to make this even easier for the advisors we serve. That's going to be good for our business. It's going to be great for each of those partners that we work with. Sure. And at the end of the day, it's going to be really great for the advisors that we serve.
0: Yeah, I think that's where we're of, of like mind. I think it is about how do we get along? How do we work together? And there's lots of different wonderful capabilities out there, but I think the key will be that coordinated integration. I love it. But our time grows uh, nigh. And okay. as we often do at this point in our discussion, we try to keep this under 30 minutes. This has been fascinating so far and many more questions for another day, I suppose. For sure. If you would, just quick three-point summary. What's the takeaway that our audience, which by the way, I don't know if your team made you aware of this, but we're up to almost twenty four hundred listeners to this podcast. That's
1: awesome. That is awesome. That has gotta be one of the most well listened to podcasts in this space.
0: I must admit they don't listen to every episode that way. I think they might listen to this one though, because you're on Aaron, but but point is that I think there's a lot of people in our industry and yeah. I gotta believe we must be getting near the max are trying to figure out just the strategy and where they play. But talk about three key takeaways from our discussion today.
1: When I think about the three key takeaways that advisors should really be thinking about you know, in the context of all that we've talked about today, to really like put a pin on it, advisors need to be more confident in the value that they deliver to their clients. And I love the points that you made about cost and risk and tax. And I think that that's a great way to think about it. It was only five years ago that advisors would come up to you or me and they would say, gosh, I've got to figure out how to compete in a 25 basis point world against robots. And it turned mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. they did not need to figure out how to compete in a 25 basis point world against robots. It turns yeah. out that they've got a lot of advantages over robots. They know how to do empathy. They know how to do behavioral coaching. They know how to actually deal with the complexity of taxes and risk and ensuring that they can get good outcomes for clients. To me, like that's the thing that advisors really need to understand is they proved this during the pandemic. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. They actually got to put this in action. and. I really believe another big takeaway is that this is the risk first decade. One of the things that we proved during the pandemic, I would tell you that like a decade ago, it was controversial that we called the company Riskalyze and people are like, risk? Like that's one of the two things advisors are never supposed to talk about, right? Like it's not religion and politics, it's risk in the short term. And you're talking about how clients react to risk in the short term. This is not good. That's no longer a controversial idea, right? And like not having a risk solution on your desk in the 2020s. Is a bit like not having a computer on your desk in the 2000s. You know, the third takeaway for me is that, look, best of breed technology solutions with strong, and I'm going to add the word coordinated integrations, when (laughs) I've seen it over and over, when you have focused innovation in an area, you're going to deliver better impact to your customer. And advisors are well served by thinking about where is a company focused on innovation versus where are they just trying to be all things to all people? Because I can tell you, no matter how broad we might get, and we're going to, you know, we're on this growth journey with HG, but no matter how broad we might get, we're going to stay very focused on focused innovation to help advisors win, because that's how you can deliver best to breed solutions that help advisors.
0: That's great. Love your passion, by the way. Thank you. So it's been a real pleasure chatting. Look forward to the next time. But in the meantime, as we do each week when we close our podcast session, I always like to find out something interesting or unique you do outside of work that people may not know about you would find interesting. So do tell.
1: You know, you gave me a heads up to this question, and this is hard because I'm like, things that I do outside of work. Well, I'm a dad. I mean, because this is an intense job that I'm in. And so I'm like, well, I'm a dad of three kids who are almost all teenagers. And so like between that, right? (laughs) And my wife and I are blessed with these amazing three kids. They're 17, 14, and 12. One thing people might not know is we've adopted three times. So our first son was born in South Korea, and he's the 14-year-old. And then our daughter is 12. She was born in Ethiopia. And then, you know, that got us involved in some nonprofit work on one of those trips. We met the kid who became our oldest, who is 17. He was born in Ethiopia. And so what do I do outside of work? I mean, gosh, I wrangle this typical average korean ethiopian american family right (laughs) (laughs) it's just your everyday korean ethiopian american family i love it i love it there you go that's i mean between those two things i try to sleep once in a while but there you go i
0: think that's enough i follow you on social media and i love the way you share about your family and i'm uh, most appreciative just to be able to follow your journey it's really quite wonderful so thank you sir so Aaron, as always, wonderful to speak with you. Love the energy, love the passion, not only at work, but also with your family. It's all just very, very good stuff. So thank you for spending some time with us. And for our audience, if you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and or share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech On Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, Aaron. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Jack. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech On Deck our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And and for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.